James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl <clears throat> for your misery, miseries, plural, that are coming upon you. Uh, we do, to a degree, fit inside that description of the rich. Um, um, I've said this many times to us in these studies, that if you've ever had spare change in your life, even once, you are amongst the top 10% of the wealthy in the world. Okay, The rest of the world is so impoverished, they've never had a single spare coin in their entire lives. We, we don't realize uh, how wealthy we are until we start to examine things in light of that. Family of four, Vietnam, annual income, $1,400 for a family of four. Live in a single room shack, eat roughly, you know, two to four cups of rice a day and approximately four ounces of protein, be it eggs, meat, fish, whatever. Uh, that's their entire diet. You know, so so we are incredibly wealthy here uh, in the Western world. Um, you know, there are those that are enemies of America that think that therefore we should all be impoverished like the rest of the world. Um, uh, I won't even go into that, but uh, there, there's a consideration that our wealth, without question, is the result of worshiping Jesus Christ. This nation is wealthy because of the freedom that comes from worshiping Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, those that are opposed to America in the Western world that say things like, um, you know, uh, look what England did. To, for instance, India. Look at the oppression that was there. Well, well, here's a thought, right? Uh, the colonization of India. Um, yes, atrocities committed without question. You know, those should not have been done and things should be corrected. But the development of India and the fact that once the people of India drove out the British from the colonization, uh, all of the progress stopped right there, and began to deteriorate. You know, what, what they have today is a decaying system that was developed by the British, and anything that they're now trying to develop is trying to bring the Western world back into the culture that deteriorated. Biggest reason that it reverted and deteriorated the way that it did is because it is a caste society based largely on Hinduism. So, you know, you got three tiers there. You have the ultra-elite uh, religious class. You have the elevated religious or, or, or business class of the educated. And then you have the Dalits who are less than human. And it is legal for any member of the two higher castes to kill a Dalit. You won't even be prosecuted because they're not humans. So... An instance occurred in the mid-90s where a young Dalit boy at missionaries uh, broadcast this to the Western world. But uh, they have segregation in, in all public places according to the caste society. And um, the Dalits all sit in the back of the movie theater, um, the farthest away from the screen. And a young boy, Dalit, was in the theater and had his feet up on the seat in front of him and his foot slipped off and struck the shoulder of one of the business class 
in front of him. He's very apologetic. But the next day, that man with a group of Hindus came to his home with swords and hacked him and his whole family to pieces. They didn't even call the police. Why? Because they're just Dalits. They're less than human beings. The reason this country prospers is because of Christianity. The worship of Jesus Christ is why. When you don't worship Jesus Christ, then you end up with horrific circumstances such as that. So uh, we need to worship Jesus Christ even in our great abundance. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Are you watching them come upon you right now? Are you seeing them like wind up on our nation and do the things that they're doing? Better to mourn right now. To have a broken heart right now and and see what money and materialism are doing and have a broken heart over it. And there was a time where this nation and its great wealth uh, was the single largest producer and distributor of Bibles in the world and missionaries, by the way. Right. You know, <clears throat> They came from really obscure places I'm sure you've never heard of, like Yale, Harvard, Dartmouth. Those, those were training schools for missionaries. Look at them today. Okay. The bastion of liberal leftism, right? And then, you know, do the equation and look where our nation is today. Look at the deterioration of our culture, right? 1963, this nation makes the profound decision in the Supreme Court, right? I don't mean to date anybody here. Gus, maybe some others. Uh, how many of you guys remember prayer in the public school, right? Starting the day in, in prayer, right? 1963, we make the decision. That's got to go. We got to get that out of the public. So we can't be training all these kids, brainwashing them with the Bible and prayer and Christianity. So we remove the Bible and prayer and Christianity from, I'll, I won't even call them the public schools, because you don't get to say what's done there, right? They'll throw you out of the parents' meetings if you raise your voice there. It's the government schools, okay? And they are indoctrinating our children there. So, so you know, throw out God, throw out the Bible, throw out prayer, 1963. 1963 to 1973. 500% increase in violent crime in America. And everybody's standing around going, what happened? <laughs> well, I, you, I mean, you seriously can't figure out what happened? The moral compass, the source of the moral compass has been eradicated from our education system. And so now look what's going on inside our education system. And the great confusion, which is just tearing the world apart. Uh, weep and howl for the riches and the corruption. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. couple things within this thought process. There are three actual descriptions of how the money is going to deteriorate. One is wrought in decomposition, so it's the idea of food, right? Storing up food for yourself. 
and the way that it's going to uh, be destroyed. And then garments he describes as being moth-eaten, you know. So you put them in storage and you take them out and they're inexplicably deteriorated and filled with holes and ruined, you know, just seemingly can't keep anything as it is. And then gold and silver uh, corroding and causing all of this different uh, illness, the, the fire that eats the flesh is what he's saying in this. Now, this last statement of the heaping up treasure for yourself in the last days. So, you know, money and, um, you know, clothing and food. And as we see sort of the crisis looming, uh, it's odd that within Christianity, there are groups of people who are like, right, so we need to get all our canned goods and build a bunker and store up all, and just, we'll, we'll, we'll do this very thing right here that God condemns. You're going to store, you're going to keep, you're going to heap up for yourself. I mean, just think about the general idea of, is that a Christian frame of mind? Think of yourself, right? Store up amass unto yourself and then keep and protect for yourself. Look, I don't have much, but if it all falls apart, come over to the house and we'll share everything that I have, you know? And guess what? When we're done at my house, I'm going to your house. <clears throat> and then we're going to go to the next guy's house. We need to take care of one another, right? And, and we're going to learn how to trust God. Right, you think about what the Lord told the believers in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, He's leaving the temple in Matthew 23, and the apostles are all making great comments of, "Look at the beauty of the temple," and they're going on and on. And Jesus makes that startling statement of, "I'm telling you, the time is coming where there will not be one stone left upon another here at this location." And they're blown away. The temple is huge. The, the temple compound is massive. And, uh, you know, it's all overlaid with white marble and gold. You know, the, the historians recorded that very often visitors who'd never been to Jerusalem upon entering the city and looking up at the Temple Mount would at first glance mistake it and think that it was a snow-capped mountain because of the white marble and the glistening gold. You know, just, oh, the beauty of the whole thing. Jesus is saying this is going to be just destroyed. 70 AD, Titus, Rome comes in, sacks the country, besieges the city, murders everyone who abides. And Jesus said, when you see these things happening, don't even grab your spare coat. Don't, don't go back into the house and grab your gun. Just leave. Just flee into the wilderness, and I'll take care of you, is what the Lord said what the Lord promised them. It's interesting, right? Because we can look back and historically the church recorded that the believers, the Christians in Jerusalem were watching that all transpire and take place. And it was actually a group of them that remembered Jesus told us when we saw these things happening that we should just flee the city. And in one day, the word spread through the Christian community in Jerusalem and all at the same time, they left the city crossed the Jordan, went out into the wilderness. Not a single Christian died. Not one single Christian died. Right? And they did have to trust the Lord in the wilderness for their provision. And God sustained them. God took care of them. You know, when you have to abandon everything else, you learn very quickly, right? Right? 
God is my provider. No? Have you ever been let go from your job suddenly? And you're in the middle of thinking like, oh, that job provided so much for me. <clears throat> and then here comes the Lord providing for you and providing for you and providing for you. And you begin to realize, oh, I thought it was the job. It was actually the Lord. All along the way, it was the Lord. And now look, it's still the Lord. Are you a child of God? If you're a child of God, then he's going to sustain his children. He's going to take care of us. Hey, go ahead, heap up for yourself. Build great stores. I had a friend who was a Marine recon sniper and uh, actually was in combat and had to do a number of things that were like crazy. So, some of it's actually recorded in uh, the uh, history of the Marine Corps that he was in uh, Croatia and some different things that he experienced. Uh, there was a particular shootout that they've documented and made part of their history that he was in. 13 people pinned him down at one point and he was able to escape that. Um, but uh, he was talking about the fact that when in the field and they have to be out on mission for extended periods of time, that MREs, like we all, we know meals ready to eat, you know, the, the military issues, the, like bag of, you know, whatever, you know, I'm saying, you know, just uh, three days, that's all you can eat those. That's The military teaches them that. If you have to eat, like you should be looking for other food source, because this you don't you can't survive. Why? Because of the preservative. There is you know sodium and other stuff. There's so much preservative. When they come back, if they've been out for more than three days and lived off in MREs, you guys, they actually hospitalize them, and they go through a course of treatment to restore their health from the food source. Right. And what now you've got a bunker built and massive cash stores of, you know, stuff, you know, right here. The Lord is saying, you know, it's going to rot. It's going to corrode. It's going to destroy you in the process. Have, have you learned God's faithfulness? OK, set those things aside. Maybe I've been very offensive to you. Set those things aside and just answer this. Have you learned God's faithfulness? Is he not good? Is he not kind? Does he not love you? Okay, now look inwardly, right? The children in your lives, right? Your kids, your grandkids, right? Aren't they terrors? Just like, you, you know, no, not yours. Mine are, okay? So, um, you know, they just, I can't believe how bad, but you know what? I'm always going to love them. Not because I'm a pushover, because I'm a pushover, you know? We, we love our children. We are created in the image of God. He loves his children. Right? With godly grace. He doesn't ever get pushed to the point where he yanks the car off the road and just beats everybody in the back seat. You know what I'm saying? He not that I've ever done that. But he loves us. It's terrible that these things are recorded. You know what I'm saying? You can be grateful you're sitting out there and you don't have to be here anyway. God loves us. He cares for us. You, you should have by now learned God is good and God loves you. And so this whole mentality that people have, right? Okay, here's another one, right? Buy gold, right? Money's going to crash. Money's going to die. What is the gold based on? 
the dollar. Okay, listen, um, if you're going to, you know, watch online, listen, and you're, you're going to buy gold, what do you pay with? Dollars, right. So wait a minute, the guys that are selling gold want your money. Interesting, interesting, interesting. If money is so worthless, why do they want mine? There's some logic you have to follow in this. Okay, the logic I want you to get to, right? Not that you just be like all, you know, worldly and wise. And that's a, it's a word of God. We're being told right here, don't do these things. Do not do these things. You know, manna fell from the sky, right? They wanted meat. God punished them for that, right? But, but he sends the quail in. And in case you're wondering, like, about the miraculous aspect of that, they have discovered that, that quail do this cross-migration near and around the, the uh, Red Sea to this day. They flap all the way across, right? They can't land anywhere. When they reach the other side, they're very often flying three feet off the water. And as soon as they clear the shoreline, well, boom, right on the ground. You can walk right up and pick them up. They have photographs of people holding handfuls of quail. God said, you want, you want quail? You want meat? You're sick of the manna? I'll send you quail. You know, we look at, oh, you're trying to over-naturalize a miracle, right? Those quail could have landed 10 miles away and they'd have never seen them. God put them right where they needed to be for those people. And you've experienced that where you turn around and God has put his provision right in your environment. And you do a quick calculation and realize, I could have missed this by a minute, by an hour, by a mile. God is right there, meeting the need, providing right there. Learn to trust him. In, in the unknown, where you're stepping out into whatever's right ahead of you, thinking, I don't know how this is going to turn out, and there's God. Making sure that things transpire the way that they should. Keeping up treasure for yourselves in the last day. Indeed, verse 4, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you have kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Seboeth. Now, uh, a couple little things here. The idea of heaping up is directly connected to this idea of withholding. So there's the wickedness, right? Uh, for you to take care of yourself, to have provision for yourself, the Lord has given to you abundantly. Praise God. That's cool. Great. He's not opposed to rich people, right? I'm, I'm you know, probably not talking to any of us in this room, but let's just say, okay, God is not opposed to rich people. We see rich people that were Jesus' followers. Nicodemus. Right? Incredibly rich. Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus was buried in his tomb. Right? We, we have a few examples of them. Uh, you know, Nicodemus that came and spoke to Jesus at night. We, you know, Barnabas, right? You know, he, he was wealthy, sold a piece of land, gave the whole sum to the apostles to help the church care for its need. There were very wealthy people 
We're talking about the contrast of like we studied recently regarding the rich young ruler who has this problem in his heart where amassing to himself and money for himself and wealth are what he actually worships. He's, he's overly, most of us don't have any problem with this, right? Because, you know, you've got no savings, no bank account, no hand to mouth is the everyday thing. Others of us, right, consider what, what the Lord has blessed you with. And let's make sure that it's not from withholding from those who are deserving, right? Those, those who have labored should be compensated. Those who have worked should be paid. Those, those who have done for, we should extend to them and do for them. If we're keeping back and always cutting the corners, you know, that, that whole be in the penny pincher, you know, there's a frugal and then there's unjust. So consider what the Lord is saying about this whole issue of how they should have been caring for those who labored for them. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does, who, uh, he does not resist you. So the idea of the just who wasn't resisting you. So uh, to a degree, this is certainly speaking outside the church uh, to the, the greater populace and the culture and saying, you know, if you want to be... Uh, you know, obedient to God, then none of these things should be, uh, you know, part of your life. Looking at particularly uh, four, five, and six, you know, I hope that you are familiar uh, with Jesus' teaching from Luke 16, um, where uh, Jesus tells of the account of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, the beggar who begged outside his gate. And the rich man, as it says in the King James Version, fared sumptuously, right, to the neglect of Lazarus. And if you think, well, Lazarus was able to receive and he, you know, he got food from the table. Well, you, you got to understand it's, it talks about the crumbs that fall from the table. These people were so rich that when they went to eat, they didn't have a lot of the things we do today. So they would just have extra pita bread baked for every meal and when you were preparing to eat you just pull two or three of those off the stack and slap them down next to you and you begin to tear off pieces and you know put some meat in it and eat it and dip in the sauce and you would usually have one or two that you just used like a napkin to wipe your fingers with and if you were wealthy you just would rub your face and clean off from your luxurious state of living bread became like a napkin to you. And, and what they would do is they would just throw all of that out in the trash after every meal. And Lazarus is eating the crumbs that fell from the table. That's the bread he's eating, right? Just the garbage that they cleaned off the table when they were all done. So, so this man is living so luxuriously that what he's throwing away is trash is Lazarus' whole source of nutrient. And God is saying, you know, this is the wickedness that we're speaking of here and the way that the Lord is condemning that. So within this discussion, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits 
ask for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. So the idea is um, we, in contrast with the wealthy, the wealthy very often, you guys, they it's it's a huge struggle. Like Jesus is saying to the rich young ruler, is he's so wealthy that he really he has no need for God, right? If if he's in pain, then he finds relief for his pain. If he's lonely, he finds a fulfillment for his loneliness. If he's in need, he goes and gets what he needs. It's never to the point where oh God, what am I going to do? That's not there. It's not part of his life. He's so wealthy that that that, that state of existence does. I, I was in a prayer meeting. I was a very young Christian, and I, I I was very very immature Christian, and I took great offense. Um, I didn't understand the circus. I was praying. My wife and I. I'll just share the gory details. Um, so. Uh, Young father, young husband, uh, wife working a part-time job. I'm working a full-time job. And my total income uh, uh, net was $188 a week, right? And, uh, I mean, things were, you want to say tight. Things were really tight. We were down to the penny every single week. You know, anything thrown at a kilter would, like, really hurt, really, really bad. And, um I was at a prayer meeting at church and, um, you know, wearing my heart on my shirt sleeve. I'm just sort of sobbing and crying, you know, not literally, but I'm complaining out loud in, in, in prayer meeting uh, about our circumstances. And, and really what I'm asking everybody to pray with me about is a better job. I, well, I was working two jobs at that time. I was working two part-time jobs, putting in about 70 hours a week uh, between Daigle Oil Company uh, and uh, between working as a line cook. And uh, so I'm just, I'm praying for a better job. You know, I'd like to get some sleep at some point, you know. So this is, this is what I'm going on about. And um, we get done praying and this guy in the prayer meeting says, you know what your problem is? And I'm like, lay it on me, man. He's like, rent. And I'm like, yeah, that's definitely part of the problem. I mean, I'm, I'm paying rent. He said, you need to stop renting. You need to go buy yourself a house. I make $180 a week. You know what I'm saying? I have no savings. Like, I have no credit. What are you talking about? Buy a house. And he just goes on a rant about how stupid it is of me to be paying somebody else's mortgage. I should really be building equity for myself. You need to go buy yourself a house. I was like, steaming. Are you kidding? Of course I should buy. Of course, are you going to buy me a house? You got co-sign? What are you talking about? I'm going off on this guy. And after he leaves, one of the brothers sees my immaturity and says, hey, 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 calm down, man. You don't understand. This guy's parents died when he was nine years old and left him millions. He's a trust fund kid, right? He's, He's never had. In his whole life, he's never, he's in his 30s telling me this. He's never had the desperation you're experiencing right now. And, and that brother, God bless Paul Smitherman, he just talked me down out of orbit. You know what I'm saying? Just like, this is the reality you're living with. 
Like it just, you know, this guy doesn't understand. There are you got to endure with patience, right? If you're impoverished, if you're struggling, and you're witnessing the wealthy of the world and on the news, and you're thinking like, how do they get away with this? Hey, patience, calm down. You are a child of the king who created everything, right? If you never get it in this life, you do have an incredible retirement plan waiting for you. Wait upon him. You know, this illustration he gives of the farmer, right? Those of us that have done farming, right? Till the ground and rocks and plant and fertilize and water and weed and, you know, and eventually, oh, here it comes. And then you got to protect the sprout and get all the stuff that competes with it and fight off and just, you know, make this thing grow. And then finally, right, harvest. If you're like, ah, effort, let's go, plow, plant, nothing. This is stupid, you know. Till it all under and plant what, grass or I don't know, you know, just walk away. What if you plant? What if you went through all that effort, put all that seed in and nothing came up? And so, you know, you just sell it to the next guy. Like this is worthless ground. I'll sell it to you for 10 bucks. You know, you, you just gave up on the great harvest of what you're doing. The harvest isn't instant. It's much later. D don't be disheartened. As you look over at somebody else who has great abundance and think, why aren't my things as fruitful as that? <laughs> Let it grow. Let the Lord produce his abundance in the circumstances. It takes patience to see the harvest come spiritually in your life, right? I was a total heathen criminal and I stopped doing that and I started living for God and nothing good is coming. So I'm giving up after 10 minutes. I'm all done. <laughs> you know? Wait a while. You know? Wait a while. You're going to see the great harvest come in. There's a patience that's involved in this whole thing. There, there are laws, right? God-given laws that apply to harvest that are actually spiritual laws about our lives. Right? If you really want watermelons, don't plant Brussels sprout seeds. Okay? You go, of course. Well, there are a whole bunch of people who plant sin and selfishness and corruption. And they're like, why don't good things ever happen to me? You're planting the wrong seeds. You, you plant the sin, the selfishness, the corruption. Guess what you're going to get back? Sin and selfishness and corruption. That's all that's coming up. You know, you know uh, we also do the thing like I'm describing here. We're thinking like I put it in the ground and nothing popped up. You know, like Jack of the Beanstalk. You know? I used to be a criminal. I used to be terrible. I stopped doing that. And now, look, I went to church last week and still I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> you, you went you went to church one time, two times, one week. You went for a week? You know, how long did you invest in your sinfulness? 
a decade, four decades, <laughs> you know, planting and planting and planting uh, to the corruption and the sinfulness. Time, see the harvest comes later. Also, right, it comes in abundance. One seed of corn goes in the ground. And many ears of corn come up with lots of kernels on them. One act of sin goes into your life and a whole stalk shoots up with a whole bunch of corruption on board. All kinds of prices to pay. Oh, plant righteousness. You, you want the good? Plant the good. These laws, right, of reaping and harvesting are not just to do with farming. These are spiritual laws that Jesus pointed out for us, right? The harvest comes later. You only get what you planted. It comes in abundance. Here's the last one. And it's highly beneficial or it's very negative. You got to eat the whole harvest. If you've been planting sin and corruption, every ounce of what comes up belongs to you. Blame shifting will not take it away. Yes, I've done terrible things, but it's my father's fault. <laughs> no, no, no. You planted it. It's your fault. You're going to have to own it. You're going to have to pay the cost. You are. See, so if you plant the good things when they come up, oh, wonderful blessings to you. All that you and your family get to consume. You know, guy asked me today, Thanksgiving tomorrow, what you doing? I said, hanging out with my whole family. His eyebrows went way up. I said, yep. Daughters, sons-in-law, grandkids, friends, big meal. House is going to be full. We'll be hanging out all day. And he was like, that's awesome. And uh, as we talk through the transaction that I was doing, he's saying, I've asked everybody that today and very few people have given me the answer you just did right this this is the fruit of what christ has done in my life you know not so much me right despite me <laughs> this is the fruit of what christ has planted in my life I, I also get to harvest that what a wonderful graciousness patience patience you're looking on right wasn't it asa that said my foot had almost slipped. Spiritually, I almost fell down. I was watching the wicked, and I was seeing their prosperity and thinking, these guys are getting away with it. Until I went into the house of the Lord, and I saw their end. I saw their judgment coming. Here, right? Wealthy, weep and howl. Worry. Be concerned. You who are faithful, be patient like the farmer. The harvest is coming. Are you watching the news? The harvest is so close. The things that are going on, particularly in the nation of Israel. So interesting what is going on. So interesting how close the culmination of the age and the things to come. I'm so excited.
about what lies directly ahead of us. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. So here, um, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's not far off. He's at the door. You know, we hear that a couple of times in Matthew 24. Jesus is talking about uh, the culmination of the age, his return, the destruction of the temple. And he says, when you see all of these ha things happening, know that I am at the door. Right? I always give that illustration of, you know, we invite people over to our house. And, you know, I'll confer with my wife. Can they come over? Because, yeah, okay, I was on Thursday night. Was over. Okay, they're coming over Friday, right? So Sunday church ends and we make plans and they're coming over Friday. My wife immediately begins a whole process of, like, cleaning every nook and cranny and you've got to organize this by one that she calls the wife and says now are you guys like vegetarian or gluten intolerant or you know and it builds this menu in her mind and just you know, all these different things and oh you know the husband's into this and the wife likes that and we you know do all of these different things and preparation and preparation now you're going to need to go to the store and you need to die and i'm gonna have to you know thaw this out and we are you know and, and then you know, all of this buildup comes and now it's Friday and they're going to arrive and we've given directions and we've told them, you know, make sure you put in Blue Hill, not Surrey. It'll take you to the wrong place. And, you know, they finally and then the knock comes at the door. And you go over and when I grab the doorknob, that is not the time to say, now I wonder if they're vegetarians. You know, I wonder, I wonder, can they eat gluten? You know? What are, are there kids coming with them? It's not time when they're at the door. It's not time to prepare. It's not time to try and set things in order. That was all before. Right now, you guys, where we are in time, this is the time to plant and invest and prepare. Why? Because there's a judgment coming. There is a judgment coming. And we want to be on the right side of that judgment. You know, we want our king to arrive and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. You know, that's what we want to hear. The finish, we, you know, we were just talking tonight about just waking up without pain. <laughs> you know, <sighs> my back doesn't hurt at all. You know, it's, what a wonderful thing. That we're looking. I, I want to enter into what the Lord has in store. It, don't don't get caught up. Let your heart be established, firm, grounded, rooted. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's here now. Don't grumble against one another. Oh man, is the church guilty about that? Just always, oh those these people and that thing, and just joy, happiness. Remove all of that stuff that sinks in. And just think about don't don't you love the body of Christ? I I love going to other churches too. You go a place and you meet strangers that are part of the family of God. I mean, you just fall in love with them. You're just like, wow, I got a much bigger family than I thought. These people love Jesus too. That's cool. They're not even a Calvary Chapel. Who would have thought? You know, so. body of Christ is so much bigger than one denomination. Don't grumble. No, the Lord is, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord 
as an example of suffering and patience. Man, didn't they have to endure a lot? You know, hatred and opposition and slander and lies and persecution and beatings and death. They had to endure a lot. I mean, really, what have you and I had to endure? You know, some curled lips <laughs> as people sort of snarled at you. Oh, how could we possibly survive such persecution? <laughs> you know, people actually raised their voice in opposition to our opinion. Oh, man, just imagine the horror, <laughs> right? So many few, so few of us have ever suffered even physical altercation because of our faith. The prophets had to endure so much. And, and we look at them and we think, oh, right, what, what admirable people. What tremendous reward they must have, right? When we think about the prophets, you know, the, the known, the confirmed, the written prophets, right? there, there's a place in our heart and mind like they are elevated. They are, they are the elite. Wow. What glory. What got them there? The endurance, you guys. Going through the trials and the challenges and the difficulties is what causes them to be venerated in the body of Christ. And, and what do we want? Road of least resistance, right? Just like, how can I get through Christianity without anyone disliking me in any way? You know, I was really hoping everyone would just love me and throw flowers at my feet. You know, I'd be the most acceptable Christian in all of human history. Probably not. Probably not. If you're going to stand up and proclaim the truth. And if you could have done it without opposition 50 years ago. For 30, 10, you definitely can't do it now. You're going to be hated. You're going to be hated by the world that is around us. So, you know, consider them. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard the perseverance of Job, seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Listen, uh, there are two ends, two ends to Job. One is the Lord repaid him. And he was profoundly improved. Okay. He tells us with his own confession that the Lord had revealed to him that his trials were so that he would be refined as gold. Right. So massive personal changes happened in the life and the heart and the mind of Job. And in that, he was restored the things that he lost. There's another thing that Job was used for that only David Gusick has, I've ever heard point out. The book of Job tells us that Job was put through those things that the angels would learn. How interesting is that? That Job's endurance had a teaching effect upon the angelic hosts the angelic hosts here's a thought here's a thought the scripture records for us in the book of hebrews 
that Jesus, it's so strange, Jesus had to learn obedience. Jesus had to learn something, right? It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. First time in eternity, Jesus says, I do not want to do the will of my heavenly Father. I'm paraphrasing, right? What he says is if there's any way that this cup of torture, cross, separation from God, any way that this crucifixion can pass from me, let it happen. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Indicating that for the first time in eternity, Jesus had a different desire than the Heavenly Father. He learned obedience. Job, according to the book of Job, was giving instruction to the angels by being obedient. Who are we affecting by our endurance? Right? As we go through the grind and we trust God, right? Here on earth, I can guarantee you there's a whole bunch of people around us that are watching. Whole bunch of people, family, friends. Yeah, loved ones, church members, acquaintances, right? Facebook prowlers, seeing what we post, seeing how we behave, seeing the things we say. It's why I'm not on Facebook. Here, I'm, I'm kidding about that. Here, we are affecting the world around us. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. The end intended was the refining of Job and the restoration of all things and that he would be an example to the spiritual world. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no no, lest you fall into judgment. Um, so in regard to the endurance, he's saying, let your answers be of honesty. Okay, This isn't a forbidding of all oaths, as it may seem when you read this, right? Because when we get married, we're supposed to take vows. There are things we, we can even make vows to the Lord, promissory agreements of Lord I will dedicate this to you. The Lord accepts those things, but but within it, he does say, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Do not turn your heart away from commitments made. It needs to be that we follow through. The book of Psalms tells us, it asks the question, really, who can dwell in your presence? And we get a series of things that are answered there. But part of it is it ends by saying those who swear to their own hurt. That's, that's one of the qualifications for those who can dwell in the presence of the Lord. You make an oath, follow through. Follow through. If you can't follow through, slow yourself down enough to process whether you can follow through, and then don't make the oath. God, God is not saying you must make oaths, right? Right here, he's actually saying contrary to that. If you can't live up to the oath, then don't make the oath. Don't say, I will, I promise. You know, marriage is one of those things 
that a lot of people treat very flippantly. You know, I, I put it to people. What if this person that you're sitting next to right now and you're convinced you want to be with for the rest of your life turns out to be the most obnoxious person you've ever met in your life? What if that happens? Because, you guys, here's the thing, right? Very often you don't really know a person, do you? We, we make a presentation because we want people to accept us. And especially when it comes to romance. Uh, we put on a show. What happens when the show's gone? Gone. And you actually know who that person is. You know? When you're five years in, it's a different program. 10, 20, 30, 40 years in, it's a totally different program. Totally different program. When something can fall over in your house by accident and you automatically know what that other person is thinking, and you say one word and they reveal to you that you did know what they were thinking, that's a different state of existence. Than the dating period of time. The courtship. You're going to make a vow based upon the emotional experience of courtship? Understand that the commitment is until death do us part. Right? If it sounds like I'm speaking negatively of my marriage, I'm not. I absolutely am not. My wife is amazing. But I have also learned I really do have to die to myself. And you know what? I have witnessed as that woman has learned to die to herself. As we've become servants to one another through the process. Making a vow. You know, I mean, if you can't make any vows, can't take any oaths, then like, you know, here James would be removing marriage from the Christian equation. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you shouldn't be making vows if you can't follow through. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let it be as simple as that. If you, if you have said yes, if you have made a commitment, then follow through. Think, of, think about how many people within Christianity do not follow through. Do not follow through. It is, it is very often more about the vow and the oath taken. Let, let us be people of our word. Amen? Amen. So we'll leave off at verse 12, pick up with 13 next week. I was confident I was going to finish this chapter, but you guys want to go home and go to bed and, you know, finish thawing a turkey and all of that. So, well, why don't we stand and we'll pray and then uh, stay in fellowship as long as you can. Father God, we thank you for your love and your grace in our lives. And we ask that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to follow you. Help us to trust you, Lord. Work in our hearts and minds. Lord, we want to be obedient people to you. We want to be men and women that trust you. Give us what it takes to be that way. Accomplish what you want to in our hearts and minds. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.